Teigen. And I'm Eric. This is season two of the Professional Weaver Podcast, where each week we have discussions with weavers in the supply chain that supports us with hopes to build depth, transparency, and connection within the hand weaving community. This week's episode was sponsored by Comfort Cloth Weaving, a company specializing in heirloom quality handwoven products for the home, as well as yardage for the fashion and accessories industries and value-added products for farmers and wool growers. Find out more at comfortclothweaving.com. We would like to thank all of our patrons of the podcast. If you would like to support the podcast, go to proweaverpod.com support to make a one-time or monthly support contribution. This week, we are speaking with Crystal Gregory in Kentucky. Crystal Gregory is a sculptor whose work investigates the relationship between textiles and architecture. If the nature of architecture is fixed and permanent, then the opposite would be a textile, collapsible and movable. Both mediums define space, create shelter, and allow privacy. A textile, however, has the advantage of flexibility. It is a semi-two-dimensional plane that has the ability to fold, drape, move, and change to its surroundings. It is pliable. Gregory received her BFA from the University of Oregon and her MFA from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago from the Fiber and Material Studies Department. She has received many awards and her work has been exhibited in museums and galleries nationally, including the Rockwell Museum of Art, the Dorsky Gallery Curatorial Projects, the Hunterton Art Museum, and at Black and White Project Space. She has had her work featured in Hyperallergic, Surface Design Journal, Art Critical and Peripheral Vision Press. She is an assistant professor within the School of Arts and Visual Studies at the University of Kentucky and currently shows with Tappan Collective in Los Angeles, California, as well as Momentum Gallery in North Carolina. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Crystal as we talk about different ways of learning and teaching weaving, how much there is still left to learn, and creating artwork using woven fabric. We began talking to Crystal about how she found weaving through community college art classes. Yeah, I mean, I, I so I first took a, a weaving class at a community college in Monterey. I After high school, I kind of like traveled around and didn't really settle anywhere, but I kept taking a lot of community um, college classes. So I found weaving that way and... Um, and totally fell in love with it. I mean, I loved the process. I loved the material, the texture, the utility. Um, and I was living in Central California and sort of <clears throat> part of this artist group in out of Big Sur called the Big Sur Natives. And they're a group of um, musicians and dancers, but also poets and writers and and one weaver. And so she was sort of like, I kind of saw through that um, what the possibilities were. And then kind of kept roaming around and finding little weaving studios all over California. Um, and then I think the big thing that really happened for me was I, I took a week-long workshop at... Um, um, Tierra Wool, which is this little <clears throat> weaving studio in the Rio Grande in New Mexico. And that really sort of opened everything up for me. Like I started making these connections between the material that touches us in our everyday and how 
it's embraced by each culture very differently. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, it's like the thing that connects us. So I've kind of like that solidified it for me, like being able to travel and see what um, different processes and colors and textures and uses that this material has in, in different places. Um, but then also um, have it kind of work for my uh, I'm not really articulating that right. I was really inspired by how it touches every everybody, yet it's different everywhere, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so then I moved to um, Eugene, Oregon, and went to the University of Oregon and kind of sought out a fiber program for my like college um, experience. <clears throat> and yeah, and then have just kind of kept kept going ever since. That's really cool. That's <laughs> that's kind of like the magical thing about weaving is that there's just one point where you just connect and it all makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense to you and how it yeah. connects to everybody else around you. And yeah. you just need to have it. It's mm -hmm. I definitely, we both got that bug. Eric got it a little later than I, but I got it <laughs> right in college and just, it just... The warp threads made sense. Working with the weft was just the rhythm and the meditation. It just felt right. Totally. And I think the process, too, it keeps your hands engaged. It keeps your whole body engaged so that you can really start to um, work through ideas more slowly. You know, like things can kind of happen while you're sitting and maintaining the loom or or maintaining the textile. Um that are unexpected, you know? I know people talk about it as a meditation, but I think there is something that's really um, important about that, the labor and that, like, the time that comes with that. Yeah. So what do you do as a weaving career? Like, what is your profession within the textile sphere? Yeah, so I guess I kind of call myself a sculptor, um, but I kind of give the context of... I'm a sculptor who deals in the, uh, the world of, of textiles or fabric. And then um, I'm also an educator. So I am an assistant professor at the University of Kentucky, where I am the head of the fiber area. So um, <clears throat> I both sort of like work as a weaver in my studio practice and in my classroom. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess that's my answer. <laughs> yeah. So... How, this may be a silly question, but how, what made you decide to use textiles in a sculptural form? That's such a good question. Um, hmm. I mean, I guess I've always seen them as a three-dimensional object, or at least two and a half dimensional. You know, it is both kind of a surface or a, a plane, and yet, like, the interlacements, if you look at the threads... Um, kind of on a micro level, they have volume and they have a movement both under and over um, the weft under and over the warp threads. So I, it always made sense to me that they these are systems of um, th three-dimensional space. And then once it's off the tension of the loom, it has all of this ability to be uh, folded and draped and take up space in different ways. Um, and... And then I guess like um, through that, through that, those systems, structural systems, 
they've really led me to thinking about space in general. So like thinking about <clears throat> the woven structure in relationship to architectural spaces, positive and negative spaces, and how those relationships um, all kind of come back to the body and come back to our experiences of these materials, whether that's like the body being wrapped in a textile or the body being surrounded by these architectural spaces, kind of, they're all built around us. Um, so I don't know, that all made sense to me in these like three dimensional forms and three dimensional materials that have a lot of, out of a lot of weight and a kind of a lot of materiality to them. Um, so yeah, and you know, a lot of the work actually does hang on the wall. And so it kind of gets um, talked about through this lens of painting as well, which is, you know, much more of a two-dimensional conversation. Um, and yet, like, I still call them sculpture, I think, because of the material that I'm utilizing. Um, and I think there's something important to that for me. I mean, I, I, I don't feel very connected to the, the painterly, um, canon or like the connect the history of painting at all it I feel much more connected to like histories of craft and histories of um yeah fiber art um so yeah yeah that's really cool and I also noticed that in some of your installation pieces you actually incorporate a lot you actually incorporate bodies into those pieces. Like you have dancers, you have people yeah. tying the threads. Like yeah. that's a really interesting element that you're adding back into it because Thanks. you're showing the hand mm -hmm. that makes the textiles move or connects them. It's a really interesting element. Yeah. I feel like, you know, um, and I, I'm, I'm sure you to identify with this, but the work of, weaving or like the bodily experience of that is so important you know it's so important to me as the maker and I think often it gets lost in the final product you know like it you don't kind of see the hours or the decisions or the thought processes that go into it so I really have been um wanting to kind of put that movement back into the exhibition or into the installation um, just to kind of make those connections a little bit more clear. Um, and I think they're there. I mean, I think it's inherently there in a fabric, but it's something that, you know, we, we don't, um, we take for granted or we kind of like overlook somehow. So that's what those like performative elements are about. And, and the community too, you know, like, um, community of, crafts in general but especially in fiber I feel like that there's such a connection with the people that um, are making it's such an open world that we really are generous and much more so than other worlds that I've been a part of you know like we give each other everything we've got um, if you just need something you know so um, yeah, I think the the people and the performance has come about in those ways. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So how do you, now that you are a practicing artist, how do you have your studio set up? Um, well, I've been really lucky that the university gives all the faculty these great studios. So um, 
the studio building that I'm working in right now is in um, converted tobacco uh, warehouse. Whoa. I used to dry tobacco leaves. It's this big, beautiful brick building. Um, and I have a studio on the third floor. Um, and yeah, so I guess there's sort of like a cleanish area and a dirty area in my studio where um, I can I can weave. I have two looms set up, one that's kind of a bit more for... Um, uh, for processing and and trying things out um and then one that's that's wider that I can make you know um kind of larger scale pieces on and then I have this you know separate area where there's lots of dust and cement and sand and all kinds of things going on and then I also have access to the fiber facilities um which you know we have both AVL Dobby looms um and different types of floor looms and then we just got a TC2 which I'm still sort of unpacking and trying to uh, put together um, so I get to play with all of those tools as well. The TC2 is crazy. It's so bananas. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you two played on it before? No. I've seen one. I've seen a TC1 in action a long time uh -huh. ago. Uh -huh. And I've always, in in my heart of hearts, I've dreamed about owning a TC2. Yes. Um, or one. We'll take a one. Or a one. <laughs> yeah. Um, if it's around. Yeah. But we think... Picky. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we got even more hooked on the idea of it and what it can do when we talked to Javencio de la Paz. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's definitely really well-versed on the TC2. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really, it was really good having that conversation with him and just learning more about the equipment because it seems so mysterious to me. It's like, yeah, you know, it, it, I think it can feel like that until you start working with it. Um, yeah. I am definitely not as proficient on the TC2 as Havencio or, you know, many other people in the country. Um, but I did get... I feel like I had like a really great education because I went to the University of Oregon, which actually Havencio teaches at now. And I don't know that they still have this, but um, at the time there was a, a manual jacquard loom where you're actually like punching the holes in the cards oh. and stringing it up. And so I learned from, you know, like the base um, like what a jacquard does and how like the how it how it like manually works um, and then when I got to my graduate program um, they there's TC2s there and I didn't actually work too much with them at in graduate school um, but kind of got to see how this 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 machine is working and then I started um, teaching at Tyler School of Art and I was actually in charge of, of teaching on the TC2, which gave me a lot of kind of time and <laughs> rehearsal. So basically, like, I guess it is very complicated, but you can also do very simple things, you know. And because it's a Photoshop, one of the um, programs that you can run it with is Photoshop, which is, you know, amazing. And it feels like very accessible to, um, to people who aren't you know, maybe as committed of, of weavers um, or coders in that case, that 
it, it really is like you can go through pixel by pixel and really understand it on a very basic level. Um, and then you can get, you know, bonkers complicated. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. But you can also kind of keep it at a very simple level. Um, and I think that that is the beauty of it. You know, you can kind of approach it from so many different vantage points and so many different people, um, I think, are interested in that technology. So you two should totally get one. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, I think that there will probably be a second hand market for them coming about like shortly, you know? Yeah. Especially because they've been around for a little while now and um, places are closing all the time, unfortunately. Yeah. And also textile programs are closing a lot of, in a lot of places. I know that was yeah. a big problem when I was in school that the programs were disappearing. How, how are you seeing, are the programs getting healthier as people are getting more interested in handcrafts or mm. what do you think? Um, uh, yeah, I know it's a I heavy topic. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a really important topic. I think, um, you know, there's definitely been a resurgence. I feel like I think that I feel like there's been these mo these like mountains and valleys. You know, like in the '70s, that's when the um, Univo program started. Um, there was a really huge interest in fiber that was coming. You know, and then it kind of like dipped down in the '90s. And then I think because of um, now, there's so much more interest in fiber that there has been these robust programs, especially coming out of, you know, Chicago, and um, it's been very exciting. And then, you know, there's an argument to be made that people are interested in the hand because we're so hyper-saturated with the digital, um, especially during the pandemic. I feel like my students are just so excited to get their hands on something that's tactile. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, art schools are going to be really suffering, really suffering after this year. And I don't know what, what will happen. And unfortunately, fiber, fiber seems to be on the chopping block a lot of places, um, mm. almost first. Um, <clears throat> so we'll see. I mean, nothing's permanent, right? <laughs> right. But, um, but what is permanent is the skills that you learn. That's that, yeah. That's something that you can like. Even if, heaven forbid, a program were to close and students were no longer able to have access, they have learned the skills that they can translate that into something else. That's really true, and I think you know, there's. There is something, especially within arts and especially within like the craft world, um, it, there's a very kind of entrepreneurial um, uh, personality type, I guess. So people are really invested in things and they kind of make things happen for themselves. You know, I've noticed a lot of um, artists working almost as small businesses or... Um, getting into things that are maybe tangential, but kind of like navigating um, around, you know, n there's not, I don't have many students who take a weaving class and then become production weavers, but they're us utilizing their skills in lots of different ways, you know, and maybe that will change year to year. Um, but it does seem like 
the kind of foundation that you get is this encouragement to follow your passion, you know, and figure out what that means um, yeah. for yourself. <clears throat> so it's a hard thing to sell, you know. It <laughs> for is. Sure. It is definitely. Well, and you also hope that you know if or as these. Um, programs close you know if this is the truly unfortunate future that we're looking at you know people like tegan and i or people who've gone through these programs and who are interested in building community and keeping that community alive can get their hands on some of this equipment yeah. and keep it available through mm -hmm. nonprofits or through community funds or through some way by funding it through a business that they own um you know keeping it out there so that we can keep educating people who are interested in it. Yeah. And so when it comes back around again, we don't have like no knowledge. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that is the thing is it's such an incredible tool to keep playing with that you really do need to have access. I mean, there's Praxis Workshop, which you probably have um, heard about already, but they're starting a residency program with the TC2 um, and then a friend of mine in, um, I believe she's in Minnesota is starting, is like collecting the TC to us and hoping to start a residency. So I feel like there are people who are doing it, um, on their own, mm -hmm. um, outside of the institution. So that's really exciting. That's and it's cool. Could, you know, it can be a tool that you don't need to, um, be at 24 seven, you know, can, you can get all of your files in order and kind of figure everything out on the computer and then kind of show up and do the weaving yeah. and not necessarily have um, the same relationship that you do with the floor loom where you're, <clears throat> you're kind of the sole person from the beginning to the end of the textile. You can have somebody else um, kind of be in charge of the warp or different parts of the um, upkeep of the machine. Mm -hmm. So it does lend itself to that. So what do you prefer weaving on? Do you prefer weaving on a more complex loom, like a Dobby loom or the TC2s? Or are you more of a floor loom aficionado? I totally love the floor loom. I just, yeah. you know, either countermarsh counter or a jack loom. Um, I really, I like the mechanic the mechanics of it, like the simplicity of it and the logic of it, I really love. And I think that a lot of the textiles that I've been weaving so far are simple enough um, weave structures that a four harness loom is is almost really all I've needed. Um, however, I did just get the TC2. <laughs> right. So this might totally be different next year. And I might never be able to live without, you know, um, access to that again. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, the there's so much, um, there's so many decisions to make within a textile that even just a plain weave can be so exciting, you know, by, by playing with warp and, and weft colors and textures. And, um, I've been doing a lot of like spaced weaves or playing, mm -hmm. manipulating with the, um, manipulating the warp and the reed, um, or different, you know, double weave, double weave situations. So simple weaves are super exciting to me too. 
What do you what do you find so exciting about the simple weaves? What draws you to them specifically? I think it's kind of the way I approach it. So I feel like I'm um, I'm every step of the process. I'm really using it more as a drawing tool. So from designing the warp, um, I am kind of kind of just coming to the warping warping wheel with a bunch of different cones of color and trying to figure out a configuration of stripes within the warp. Um, and sometimes like I, I use that moment as a place to challenge myself and um, push color and see what combinations um, are surprising. So sometimes the stripes system will be like, um, you know, very complicated and, and not really cohesive. But then once I get threaded and I'm sitting down um, and kind of playing with my color swatches, I can make sense of that complexity, the like the warp striped complexity. Um, and then it feels very intuitive to me to just keep playing with color and, and simple pattern at the loom. Um, I've been doing a lot of huck lace, um, inner, inner um, spaced, I guess, with plain weave, so different kind of opening systems, um, and yeah, just kind of playing foot by foot, and then once I take the weaving off of the loom, I really look at it for the first time, um, and that's another, like, another moment where I'm actually getting to see the textile and um, cut it apart, put it back together in, in ways that make sense again, you know? So I think my design process is a little bit um, haphazard or, um, um, yeah, it just kind of, it's a way that I, I feel very engaged with with all parts of, of the weaving process. There's not much designing. <laughs> it's all sort of happening as, as I'm making. Yeah, well, it's in, instead of getting into like well, it is almost like getting into a flow state. You grab what appeals to you, you put them in the ratios that really are speaking to you, and that is sort of your flow of creating while yeah. while creating, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it feels good. I mean, I feel like it, um, it makes me very dependent on the process. You know, I'm, I'm kind of always... Um, almost always warp a seven yard um, warp and it's almost always 40 inches wide and then within that I kind of just I get to play so that's the, that's the other thing that I feel like very committed to weaving about is the parameters are so specific in the process that has this beautiful order to it that within that system there's so much room for other decisions so you get to get kind of um, like deep really quickly you know is that also why you connect your weaving so much with architecture? Because architecture has that like kind of systematic approach to it. Like you need to have your foundation and put up mm -hmm. the walls and this is when mm -hmm. you put in the concrete. Like, is that why you relate those two fields together? Hmm. I, I really like that, but no, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that you, that you put that together. No, I think that, um, architecture is something that I, I don't feel like I am an art. I mean, I'm not an architect. I'm not even, a, um, kind of a designer in that way, but I think the experience of architecture has made so much sense to me 
in relationship to a textile. Um, just because their, you know, their utility is similar, they're both kind of these protectors or um, whether that's, you know, against the sun from a, like a t-shirt or um, against the weather, like a house or a roof. Um, and then just the space between, the, the gridded space, um, it just feels like very similar to me, both on like this micro level and on a macro level. Um, yeah, and but you're right, there is a process and an order to the building of these things as well, you know, like the weft being laid perpendicularly through a warp or bricks being laid on top of one another. Those systems are, are the same. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So this, I'm, I'm sure you've already answered this question, but I guess I wanted to see if there was a more solid answer is what made you choose weaving as your career path or as your yeah. vehicle for your art? Why did weaving kind of click for you versus any other textile practice? Yeah. Well, okay. So I had that experience at the, um, um, uh, with the Rio Grande weavers when I was probably like 20, 20 years old. And then I, um, went to the University of Oregon and studied under um, both Barbara Pickett and Josh Fott. Um, and there was this moment in my, I guess it was my last year there, that I was having a studio visit with um, Josh Fott. And I had all of these um, cartoons designed, digital collages, essentially, that I wanted to make all these weavings and I was presenting this to him and I was talking about all of these big plans that I had and he kind of stopped me and asked me why 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 does this need to be a weaving like why are you weaving and it stopped me like completely and I was I had no answer and I felt like and he didn't think that it was going to be so such a profound question it was just sort of like an, an, a question you ask one of your students <clears throat> But it, it caught me. It really caught me off guard. And I felt like I needed to have an answer to that before I could go forward. So I did kind of, I mean, I, didn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say I quit weaving, but I put it down for five years. And I did make all of this other work um, <clears throat> kind of about weaving, but in other materials. Like I was making all of these architectural um, um, kind of installations out of drywall, but they were drywall carved in, into lace patterns or um, using brick or wood, all in relationship to fabric, to woven textile. And um, it took me about five years to make all of that um, and get back to the loom. And once I sat back down at the loom, I felt like I had all of the, I had all of this knowledge of um, articulating textile out of material that wasn't pliable and wasn't um, a fabric, but I had learned about it in this roundabout way. And um, when I sat back down at the loom, I, I felt very certain that this is what I was, where I was supposed to be. And I had, I don't even know if I can articulate all of the lessons that I've learned through that, the, that five years of my life, but I knew that it felt like I needed to go through that so that I could, um, continue weaving. Um, 
and think about it as, yeah, as like, I guess in relationship to all these architectural materials and architectural understandings. Um, uh, yeah, do, does that answer your question? Yeah, it does, <laughs> actually, because what what made you choose weaving was that you went, you decided, okay, I need a break because maybe this isn't what I need to do. And you tried all these different materials, but you kept coming back to weaving mm -hmm. anyway. You yeah. were still relating all of these materials to textiles, to the exactly. loom. Yeah. And it just, it's something that was in your mind and it clicked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so once I had, I had like a confidence after that, that I knew, I knew why I needed to be continue weaving and I haven't, um, kind of stopped since. Um, so yeah, Josh Vaught, I think was the reason that I've decided to kind of continue this path. <laughs> cool. That's awesome. What, what do you love most about weaving? What do you love most about creating artwork through this process? Well, there's so many things. I think that it, it is the process itself. I, I think I, I love the logic of it. I love the that there's like one step to do in front of, mm. you know, the next. Um, I think that that engagement, it keeps me, um, it keeps my, it keeps me moving as I'm working through things that are, are maybe harder, you know, like, um, I think that the, a, a blank canvas seems like the, the hardest thing ever, you know, just to kind of like come up with something out of nothing. But in weaving, you have all of these steps that you can kind of keep going through. So I would say, yeah, the process. Um, and then also the connection, you know, the, the material, it has, we never really start from that blank canvas because we have all of these um, histories that we draw upon, whether that's the material or the the texture or the pattern um, or the utility. Um, so you're never really alone in as a weaver. You're al always standing on someone else's shoulders. And I think that that feels, um, it, that feels really good. A little bit of news to share with you all. Tegan and I will be presenting at the Careers in Textiles Symposium on Friday, March 19th. The symposium, hosted by the Handweavers Guild of America, is a two-day online event that spotlights leading professional and industry trendsetters, sharing their experiences and providing insights on the diverse and changing landscape of textiles and fiber art. The symposium is open to all, but is geared toward young professionals, recent graduates, and students. On the first day, March 19th, there will be five sessions that represent the different areas within the textile career field. The invited speakers will share their knowledge and enlighten attendees to potential career opportunities. We will be speaking about starting and growing our own hand weaving company from 2.45 to 3.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The second day, March 20th, is all about preparing for a career in textiles. Schools and universities will share information on their textile design and fiber art programs and professionals in the field will provide guidance and critique with open portfolio sessions. You can register for this event at weavespindie.org forward slash C-I-T. Please join and listen to a wide range of topics that can help propel your future or current career forward.
So as a teacher, what Mm -hmm. are you seeing kind of coming up as your students are learning to weave? Are you seeing like new ideas being approached or are you fostering these different objectives at the loom? Like what, Mm. what's going on? I'm so curious. The students are, are amazing. I, you know, like I didn't, I kind of never planned on being a teacher, um, but I love it. And, and having been on maternity leave last semester, I realize now that how, how much more I love it. Like it feels really refreshing. Um, but they're so inspiring. The students are, are always doing incredibly weird things that I would never have thought to do. Um, and then pushing, yeah, pushing fabric, pushing fiber. Um, like I have one student right now who's weaving, she's sort of weaving these like spaced sections. So she'll, she'll warp, um, she'll miss maybe like 10 inches in the reed and have like, uh, maybe a foot and then a miss 10 inches and then another foot of warp. And so she's weaving back and forth and having these really long floats between her, her, her weaving. And then when she takes it off of the loom, she's creating these, these like circular sculptures because of that, um, those weft floats are allowing for the warp to (laughs) open up, um, in this specific way. So it's really interesting. The, yeah, that like relationship between, um, the misses in the warp and these three-dimensional spaces that she's creating, or three-dimensional objects that she's creating. Um, yeah, they're, and you know, they don't even know how creative they're being <laughs> because they haven't seen weaving before. So it's really fun to play with, like, yeah, people who have never woven. Yeah, that's that's always been an interesting thing for me because I... So I went to school, I got a BFA in fiber design uh-huh. with a minor in sculpture. And I, I learned like the very basics of weaving. And then I was told to just explore and do things. And I'm like, but I want to know yeah. how to actually weave. Like, uh-huh. how do I make good cloth? So I ended up going to Harrisville and okay. took a, a week long intensive, like, this is how you weave. Like yes. very traditional learning structures and that lots com- of rules yeah. yep and that completely changed weaving for me because I was able to actually understand what I was doing at the loom like I was mm-hmm. able to really translate the tradition into more contemporary work yes and what I find interesting is that not every student will go that far they say right. The loom is my tool. I'm going to use it to express these things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they don't really go deep into the tradition of it. Or they go the complete opposite. And they're like, yeah. all I want to do is the tradition. And this is how it's done and how it will always be done. Yeah. Yeah. I think that those are two very different minds, you know. And like that that's so exciting that we can be together on one medium. Yeah. You know, I teach When I teach warping, I, there's... Um, you know, there's a way of dressing the loom and there's like, 
better ways to do it and there's worse ways to do it. But if you get to the same conclusion, then, you know, you did the thing that you set out to do. And so I, I teach in a very, like, um, not so many rules way. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I have friends who are much more structured and kind of disagree with the fact that I'm like, you know, not giving, giving all of these rules. Um, but it really kind of depends on, on the, yeah, like the mind or the personality of the of the weaver. And I feel like I was really fortunate because I did get to, in undergrad, I studied um, abroad at Foundation Lisio, which is a, a um, jacquard, um, I, I guess they're like a, they have, a, they have classes, but they are also like a production uh, jacquard Oh, okay. It's amazing. And um, so I learned very traditional silk jacquard weaving there um, and then was able to use the rules and, and like understand the parameters and then make my own kind of route into make, you know, like I don't I don't actually follow the rules that <laughs> but I know that they're there and I understand right. why it would be better if you, you know, did it a certain way. Mm. Um it's just, but it's yeah, always, I think that they're all pliable. Yeah, it's always really interesting because the whole craft is like, like you said, a very pliable medium. It's mm-hmm. like you can break the rules, you can stick with them, and mm-hmm. you end up with an end product that can be used in so many different ways. It's yeah, so cool. Exactly. I think in your case, when you were learning, the things you wanted to do required that you had more of the rules in your brain. Mm. Yeah. You wanted to execute ideas that required knowledge and steps before those things could be executed. Yeah. yeah. And you. so I think what you ran into was you ran into um, a thing that you always run into, which is I have this idea that is... 25 steps beyond my skill level and I want to do it right now. And that's the best way to work. Right. (laughs) So you attempt it and you see where you can't like with the things you don't understand. And then Mm. you thought, okay, I'm not going to get this particular information here in the classroom. So I'm going to go seek this information out. And when you went and got that information, you came back to the classroom where you had that more free structure and you took the rules that you needed from Harrisville. Yeah. And you applied those rules and then everything else just went out the window that you didn't need. Yeah. And someday when you needed those rules, you could recall them and get them back and use them for whatever you needed them for. But you had that sort of base foundation for how does this actually work? Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and then you were able to sort of build, and now that you're learning mostly on your own, create. I mean, it's enabling you now to do things like, you know, a first warp of 100% linen and warp and weft that's double weave. Yeah, mm-hmm. having those really solid basic understandings mm-hmm. of how things work. Yeah, that's very true. You know, just jumping into double weave on a sectional warp beam yeah right of linen yeah you know it's not something that somebody can just put on do. because they want yeah. to do that you know what i right. mean exactly yeah but i'd also you know especially 
so a lot of my students, it's their first um, experience weaving is through me. And I feel like I don't want to overrule, you know, oh, give them so, so much structure that it stifles them. Mm. I feel yeah. like it's a real balance to, you know, know that there are rules, know that you can, you can design um, upholstery fabric that ha- and there's a lot of rules that of utility in that, you know, like that's very different than what we're doing on our first warp, you know? So like just getting to the weaving part and tapping into something that feels good and, and they will come back to and seek out the more rules if they want those more rules, mm-hmm. um, I think has been a balance for me. Cause I want, I want to get people to the point where they're as passionate about it as I am (laughs) because that's when it's fun, you know? Um, but you know, then you're also kind of jumping in halfway and then you have to kind of go back. So it's, it's a balance. Yeah, for sure. Well, and are they when, so when you're teaching, what kind of looms are you teaching them on? Um, we have, um, two AVL Dobbies and we have kind of a, um, a bunch of different types of floor looms are mostly for harness. Um, and then next semester we'll start with the TC2. So mm-hmm. I do, and you know, my department is very small. It's just, I'm the only faculty. Um, so we only have a weaving class every other year. No, every other semester. Um, And uh, so, yeah, so I kind of like start them on the four harness looms. And then we do, we've been doing uh, one Dobby project. um, And then the students who are invested will be, will kind of continue on their own with my supervision in the semesters that we don't offer weaving. Um, But yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm just, I was curious because we've, uh, through our connections locally and then also through doing the podcast, we've talked to a few people that have straight up learned to weave on like fully um, computer-aided Dobby AVLs. And Uh it's always so interesting, like listening to them and talking to them about how they see weaving and like what you can do with weaving and how different it is in their sort of um, expectations of what's possible. Yeah. And it's totally a different machine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what you two work on primarily, right? Yeah. We, so I primarily right now, my main workhorse is a 60 inch CompuDobby AVL loom. Oh, nice. And it's 16 harnesses, which is super, I, the last three projects I've done on it, I've used all 16 harnesses, which makes me really excited. And we're working on fixing up a 24 harness AVL so I can really work on more complex structures. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. But I, I learned on a Maycomber jack loom, on a floor loom. Yeah, which is what our other production yeah. Looms are. Mm-hmm. So when we're not on the AVLs, we're on the Maycombers just because they are workhorses. They can take a beating and you can yeah. put a lot on and crank it out quickly. Oh, um, and they just feel so good. They're like so heavy. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like I have a lot more to learn on the AVL. Like the Dobby looms. 
like I, I feel like I know Jacquard more than Dobby, and I understand, you know, why the um, the Dobbies are so cool, but I don't like actually feel it if that makes sense. Like it, if um, I don't know. Like I would love to take a course and just kind of get deep into into the CompuDobby. We yeah. have one 16 harness and one 40 harness that was actually just donated to us um, like last year. And I, you know, like I, I can I can do stuff, but I feel like I'm like missing a lot of coolness. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I find that the AVLs, at least with the Dobbies, it's mm-hmm. kind of that middle ground between having the freedom of playing and doing what you want on a simple loom and then having the control of a jacquard loom right it's like right at that nexus point and i feel that the best way to really utilize a dobby is to know your structures really well right know how your structures are going to play with each other how Mm -hmm. they're going to interact and then Mm -hmm. from there you're able to plug in like, okay, I want to have like a summer and winter structure on the sides with a basket weave in the middle. Uh How, how do I split that out in the harnesses and in the tie up and in the peg plan? How does that all interact together? And I think that's how I'm able to play at least lately is Mm -hmm. because I have that more structural background. Mm -hmm. The Dobbies make more sense to me than a Jacquard does. Because yeah. a jacquard is just too much control. You mean like too open? Yeah, it's the yeah, possibilities too are too much. much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like I'm on the I'm I feel like I'm on like the bookends of that where the CompuDobby, the intersections of it all. I think I just want to I want to stay like sit down and play with it, but like the yeah. intersections of of all of that feel more complicated than either like this big expansive um openness of the jacquard or the the rigidity of rigidity of having four harnesses and six pedals you know Mm, yeah so um yeah I mean I've been weaving since you know since 2002 or something like that and there's still so much to learn and Mm. do and play with that that's that's another part of this world that just feels like so incredible such an incredible gift you know like yeah you can weave for 20 years and be a beginner. I mean, yep. definitely. Yeah, I have notebooks just and sketchbooks filled with projects that are still waiting for the skill yes. sets to execute. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. I, I have this installation project that I dreamed up when I was in college. And uh-huh. I still don't have the skills to execute it, which Oh my gosh, that's is, so good. So someday I figure Slow and steady. We're working yeah, our way towards yeah. it. We're working yeah, our way you're towards it. You're going to be like 80 and it'll be your retrospective. <laughs> exactly. Right, yeah. I figure I figure in my 50s that'll be yes. my time where I can retire from doing production work. I'll have a team to do that stuff right. and then I'll mm-hmm. take the time to explore my artwork again. Yeah, once exactly. we can get out of the pandemic and we can start hiring people <laughs> and yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> There's happen. a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, you know, like, 
the complexity of it, it just keeps growing. But at the same time, like the um, the weavers and the designers, I feel like that I've I really admire. They seem to all go back to simplicity. You know, like yeah. I spent um, two months as an artist in residence at the Albers Foundation, and looking at Ami Albers weavings, like they're they are complicated, but they're also like very simple. There's yeah. a lot of like, you know, and, and especially within the production work. Um, there's just so much nuance to what she was playing with, with materiality. And um, I don't know. It just feels like you can you can go so um, – it's, it's kind of this, like, micro-macro thing. Like, you can look so closely at a, you know, a one-inch part of a fabric and the interlacements and how, how everything is coming together on a structural level – and then at the same time, you have to think about the macro, like the the whole fabric and what the hand is and what it's doing and how it's draping. And I don't know, like there's just so much, um, I guess paradox is the word I want. Like there's so much opposite yeah. <laughs> and, and it's all within the one thing. So um, yeah, there's just, there's so many rabbit holes or to go down you can spend your lifetime i mean mm. we, we will right oh yeah i yep. mean right now i'm in a double weave rabbit hole i can oh, not yes. get myself out of it but i am okay yes. <laughs> so are you doing what kind of double weave are you making so at the moment i'm designing a linen fabric that has different structures on the face and the back wow and they so they're weaving separately and I figured out how to stitch the layers together so it becomes one cohesive fabric. So that is what I'm kind That's of exploring. huge, yeah. <laughs> and of course, it was like Eric mentioned, my first time weaving with 100% linen. <laughs> really my first time understanding how double weave works. Right, wow. And That's a lot. It was it was a lot, but mm-hmm. I I sat down, I powered through, and what it took was really dissecting a draft apart. Yeah, I had to really go pick by pick. I almost took my graph paper out yeah. to just like yeah. write it all out and figure it yeah. out. And now it just it makes sense, right? And um, that's the other part. I mean, there's so many things that you asked, like, what do you love about weaving? <laughs> it's like that's the other part. Is like the lo- It's logic, you know. So it yeah. feels like. Um, my brain grows (laughs) and that feeling is it feels so good like it's elating like when you are trying you know you have this problem and you know that there's probably an answer but you don't understand like you don't understand but the the logic works itself through your body and and you know it's been really cool as a teacher to watch how logic works in one person differently than it does in another person like getting to the same answer by um through different understandings but once you once it clicks it's like your brain you like grew five brain cells and you're like oh I'm on the other side of this thing and and obviously it's so clear you know and that that is an addiction that that's totally addicting yes um I and those problems are forever like there there'll be more there'll be more things to figure out yeah well yeah because when you figure one out then you realize that there's something even cooler and even more unattainable that you didn't even know existed before that now you have to figure that out 
yeah. exactly. And like, you know that you can do it. Like right. it might be really hard. <laughs> yeah. Like it might be incredibly frustrating, but like you can do it. Like it you will click if you sit down and focus. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really rewarding in that way. Yeah. I think that's something that's fun uh, for us because we think in totally different ways. Yeah. Because uh, I come more from programming. Right, uh, that's right. basically what I was. I did for uh, several years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I look at weaving as like each thread is either on or it's off. You know, it's, yeah. it's true or it's false. Up or down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Tegan looks at it more like a whole piece of fabric. And this is the pattern that I want in the fabric, or this is the drape that I want in the fabric. And all of this other stuff we're doing is sort of serving the fabric in right, some right, way. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, more or less, uh, is the pattern important or is the color important in different things? Materiality, all that stuff goes into it. But when it comes down to like figuring it out, Mm-hmm. It's we think about them in very different ways, and you're both right. Yeah, yeah. You know, like that's the other thing is it's like it's it's both both and. Yeah, and I think that we sometimes get there faster because both of us are like thinking about uh, how it works, uh-huh. and if one of us can get it before the other one, we can try to explain it. Right. You know, enough that the other person can get it. You know what I mean? And and maybe even in that, like, tr- that explanation or the attempt of explanation, you're kind of convincing yourself right. more. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so clear to me when I'm, when I'm like, just ex- trying to explain, like, um, set to somebody. Like, how, like, okay, so you have a 12-dent read, but you only have, but you have 20 EPI, you know, like, what do you, how do you do that? Like, how, and so, like, there's a physical thing, and I can explain it to you in a way that makes sense to me, but it has to make sense to you, and so my students will get there in a different way, and I'll be like, sure, like, that doesn't make sense to me, but, like, you got to the same conclusion as I did, so Mm -hmm. it's right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, that feels good. Mm Mm-hmm. So with all of these projects and everything, how do you keep track? How do you document your design process and, or do you? Is that something that you keep a record of? That's a good question. I mean, I feel like I, I work project to project. So um, speaking of double weave, the event of the thread, the, the, the performance work that I was working through last year, I was doing a lot of double weave and trying to think about these textiles as um, uh, three-dimensional pieces that kind of take up space and get pulled under the tension of these scaffoldings and different um, kind of sculptural shapes. So that was sort of my like double weave, um, I guess, project. Um, Even though I, I work a lot in double weave, but it mostly um, to get like a double width cloth. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that piece in particular was, was kind of like figure, like thinking about um, different orientations of opening on the right or the left or, or becoming one, um, one fabric or, you know. And then I've done other projects where I'm looking more at um, overshot, um, different structures like um, 
yeah, like overshot or looking at hate, uh, like huck lace more specifically. So I don't know that I, I guess I document them through the exhibition and through the, like the presentation of the, of the sculpture itself. Okay. Um, and yeah, but I guess that's like, um, I, I guess I'm, I don't think of it as like design uh, through a designer's lens in that way. Yeah. Um, it does feel much more like what is the solution for this, this, this installation or this, um, this piece that I want to investigate. And it has much more to do with sort of like the histories of those or the, the technical interlacements of the, of the structure themselves that, that interests me for the projects. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So do you find that you, when you create your work, are you posing a question when you create or are you answering a question? That's a really good question. I think maybe both. I mean, I, I, I think I, I'm, I'm sort of always posing questions to myself that I don't necessarily answer <laughs> or, um, um, that I want, I just want to think through. So when I, when we first moved to Kentucky, um, you know, I had, I'd never lived in the South before and I had this sort of understanding of, of what, um, the South was. And I thought that I needed to kind of look more into the specific histories, the weaving histories here. And so I did a lot of research on like the settlement schools in Kentucky and, um, and these colonial textiles in particular that were coming out of this region um, and the, co- the complexities of that and like who was left out of those schools and who was left out of those histories. Um, so Overshot felt like the, the vehicle to ask the questions. I mean, I, I got to learn a lot about, about this region and about kind of the, the weaving of of this region. Um, but I didn't come up with like answers to my questions. It just felt like as I was working through it, Overshot felt like the correct, uh, the correct, um, vehicle, I guess, you know, because Overshot is this really incredible structure where the pattern is made, um, through like it just sort of floats on top right it's all these supplemental weft picks so what's really binding the pattern these like incredibly optical patterns sometimes is the ground cloth and this thing that's like it's serving as the structure and without that the pattern would just float away like it wouldn't it wouldn't it's not actually woven um structurally into the fabric in in that way and so I felt like thinking of these colonial weavers, um, as, as these, <laughs> I mean, this kind of sounds silly as I'm saying it out loud, but as these weft picks who are coming to this, this place and having, um, having these experiences that are, um, impactful, but they're also, um, leaving a lot of other stories out. Um, and I don't know, I guess like it, again, it just kind of felt like what is binding us to this place? Like why, what is serving, um, the history of, of this region and what are we adding to it? And is that deeper than 
than this kind of like surface pattern. Is that a ground cloth? So the piece that I built out of that was um, these overshot textiles where the weft, weft floats um, are extending off the surface of the textile and then I cast those those fabrics into these walls that were um, I think 10 foot by 7 feet um, 10 feet tall by 7 feet wide two concrete walls with these textiles cast coming off the surface and then we tied those threads together um, and the walls were sort of being supported by this textile. Um, okay. So I don't know that I found any answers, but I, I wanted to think about it for myself, and I think that that sculpture posed more questions. Um, so, yeah, I guess both <laughs> okay. is my answer to that question. Yeah, that's really cool. I also was really attracted to that piece because it, oh, has, it has such tension to it, but it also, like... When I was looking at the photographs, I was looking at the structure of the overshot, mm -hmm. and it just seemed so, it had that same grid work that you would need to, like, put up a cement wall, or, mm -hmm. like, kind of that fencing, but it also seemed so delicate at the same time. Yeah. It was a really, really cool juxtaposition between that feeling. Thanks. Yeah, no, and, and, and the, it worked. <laughs> yeah. which I'm always like still so surprised about like those walls were not light you know but the accumulation of these wool um weft threads really did support the weight of those walls and again I guess it you know like I, I had all these like safety precautions in place thinking that it wasn't actually gonna hold but um but it did that's cool <laughs> Yeah, That's always exciting when something works. <laughs> What's that? It's always exciting when something works. I know. It was very exciting. Um, and kind of scary, <laughs> too, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. So what kind of weavings are you looking to explore in the future? Um, so right now, I'm working on a proposal, a kind of preliminary proposal for a site-specific work um, that if if accepted will be hung in the, this building in San Antonio, um, and I've been weaving in different types of metals into the weft. So like mm -hmm. the sculpture, um, yeah, it's I've been trying to kind of figure out how to make things weighted in a way that um, I can play with the with drape. So I in in my maquette at least this this piece is. Um, will be like 20 yards, two 20-yard pieces that have metal um, woven um, periodically, and then the, the fabric will kind of undulate um, through, through this like metal structure that's holding it. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm working on. It's kind of more material experimentation and I'm thinking it will just be in um, plain weave yeah. um, with lots of color because San Antonio is such a bright and vibrant visual city that it's going to allow me to like really, really play with some kind of bright brightness. Mm. Cool. That's exciting. Yeah. I hopefully that works. That um, proposal comes through. 
Fingers crossed. Yes. Because yes. that would be that would be worth a trip to go see it right. once it got yeah. executed. <laughs> yeah, it would be, you know, if it's if it's accepted, it'll be the biggest piece that I've made yet. The um, the kind of area is 20 foot by 20 foot ceiling. Um, uh, and then I ha- it has a potential of being um, 40 feet down. But okay. I don't know if I'll actually go use that entire kind of cube it, it would be more I'm thinking more like 20 by 20 by like 25 yeah. <laughs> so still big but not not the whole thing yeah so what is making you want to explore using metal in your work like what is drawing you to incorporate that well so I've been working in co- with concrete for um I don't know like the past six-ish years um and that has felt really good like I love the the combination um of this hard material next to the soft material and um this thing this material that we think of as very foundational and structural versus something that has like a lot of movement and pliability um and so I've, I've been trying to think of like other materials that do similar, um, have a similar, similar kind of juxtaposition, I guess. And a few years ago, I got to do a residency at Haystack, which if you two haven't been to Haystack yet, you should totally go. It's like the best place in the world. It's on the um, list. And they have an, <laughs> yes. They have an artist residency. I don't know if it's running this summer, but they have, um, they have um, incredible classes, but they also have a residency where they invite artists to come spend two weeks and kind of just play within the facilities. So they have each uh, workshop has a technician and then you can kind of float between all of the different studios and try things out, um, which is so generous and so cool. Um, and so I got to play with um, in the foundry a little bit and work with like the metal metal people um, and I figured out a way to cast molten pewter into cotton Whoa. without burning the fabric. So it, it's kind of like um, they, they turn into these like spills where the rigidity of the metal is now like capturing the um, kind of stilling the movement of the fabric. Um, but um, so anyway, and then it has like this really beautiful, uh, kind of sh- um, shine, I guess, reflection is what I want to say. Um, so I've been working with this like pewter and cotton combination. Um, and that's what's kind of gotten me excited about doing the San Antonio piece. Although I don't know that I'll be using pewter. I th- I'm thinking it will be more, um, like a stainless steel or something, yeah, uh, something else that has, um, that, but has that same kind of reflection and weight, um, and just like the opposition. Like I, I think that that is really exciting. Like I feel like when you put two things that are very come from different worlds together, then they open up a conversation or nuances, um, things that you wouldn't expect them to have. Um, shown you before you know like for example sorry if I'm rambling now (laughs) no please I love Um, hearing it but um yeah so like as I'm working with this these concrete woven 
pieces. Um, you know, the some I feel like the cultural assumption is that the concrete is the thing that's really this structural. It's heavy. It's weighted. And the, the fabric is the delicate, it's like the thing that's lighter and more movable and maybe more breakable. But but really the, fr the fragility of the pieces that I make are in the concrete, you know, like the concrete needs reinforcement for it to not be, to crack and crumble. I mean, essentially it's just sand that's glued together. Um, and so it has this, a, a very rigid fragility. And even though a textile is kind of, often thought of as something that's like softer and maybe more delicate it has an incredible strength um tinsel strength right like that we can pull with or support weight with and and has the ability to kind of fold down and I don't know like it just it's so magical yeah <laughs> um but I wouldn't have understood the strengths at least the physicality of the strengths had I not been putting it with with its opposite Right. Um, I think. Cool. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, it feels it's like a fun arena to play in for sure. Yeah. So we we've been talking a lot about the materiality and the structures and all of that. Where do you see or how do you see the value of textiles, at least within the art world? Because I know in a production utilitarian world, there's definitely a different perception on the value of textiles. Mm -hmm. But in the art world, I feel like there's been a resurgence in artists utilizing it in their practices. So mm -hmm. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Mm. I mean, um, I think, I hope this isn't naive of me to say, but I, I want to say that it's in, it's equal now. Like the value is, is more um, taken from the like the artist and where they are in their career or um, than it is, you know, painting next to a, a tapestry. And I hope that's just, that's not naively optimistic of me, but um, that's the world I want to live in. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but it is interesting. I mean, it's, it's definitely, uh, the value of it, 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 you know, you can you can calculate material costs and um, production time, um, but I don't know if that I don't know if that actually like is enough for. I'm not answering this very well. It's okay. It's it's a yeah. tricky question. <laughs> I I find that this is actually one of the most complicated questions to mm -hmm. answer because there's so much history behind textiles having such a stigma of being a women's craft or right, right. a simpler craft or even just the ugly use of the word craft. Mm -hmm. And right. I, it's... It, there's been so much stigma around it, and I think lately there's been such a push to understand why that stigma is in place. I, like, to me, that's such a point of inspiration. Like, taking both these, you know, feminist histories or um, marginalized histories with us into the, the, you know, capital A art world, that is kind of like the foundation that... I feel like I work from and so like taking taking these histories of of the feminine I you know 
feminine crafts, um, and that it just feels like there's a lot of power in that, and and a lot of like responsibility to not forget those histories. Hmm. I think the reason that I was struggling with like the value question is because I don't necessarily want to answer that question as a monetary um, value. Like I, I right. like I want there. There's it feels like there's so much more value to it than um, what could be paid for or something. <laughs> but I also, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I do have like a. a um, per square inch that my gallery works from. So there, that, that is a truth. Um, but it feels like there's more, like, it feels like there's, there's like this inherited value that we have or nostalgic value that we have for textiles. That's like, at least for me, greater than painting, (laughs) than a painting would be, you know, like we value the quilt that, um, my partner's great, great grandmother, made more than than the painting that it sits next to on the wall um I don't know it is a complicated question yeah but But it does seem like there should be like a like a like a um mathematical equation that could be worked out but I don't know that there that there is yeah I don't I don't think that there is really a mathematical equation because I mean, there's the equation if you're doing production work or if you're running a business, there's mm-hmm. the equation that you have of, okay, this is what I need to survive. Like, right. this is what I need yes. to make off of this to make a living. Here's but, what the materials are, the electricity cost, et cetera. Yeah. Exactly. But then on the other hand, there's the social value of the mm-hmm. textiles. Right. And there's not really a monetary stamp that you can put on it because each social relationship to that textile is different. Like you said, Mm -hmm. when you were Mm -hmm. learning about all these different cultures, they all have a different value set that they apply to these textiles. They can be religious icons Mm -hmm. or they can be socially, like, so social standings. Like, (laughs) there's all these different things that all relate to it. And so it's, I don't think there really is an equation because there's so many probabilities there's so many options right and then that makes it that makes it more confusing because we're still talking about the same material you know like it's not the price of flour you know or like uh, the price of um bread um yeah it's it's complex it's complicated yeah Mm. cool well, I think that's kind of a good note to end on. What it's do you think? It's been so wonderful talking to yeah. you too. Yeah, it's been so much fun. And I loved hearing about your artwork and kind of how you view it and how it gets executed. Like I I'm always I'm always a little bit jealous of people who have been making <laughs> sculptures out of weaving because I'm like, I will get there. Have a good one. You too. Bye. 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 I love talking to Crystal. It made me want to get back into making art. Yeah, it was cool to learn how she explores her ideas and inspires her students. 
Another thank you goes out to Rawhead the Recluse for providing music for our podcast. Find him at rawheadtherecluse.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe now. It will help us reach more weavers and people who are passionate about hand-created textiles. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Professional Weaver Society. And you can get full show notes at ProWeaverPod.com. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Professional Weaver Podcast. We look forward to sharing more episodes with you each Friday. Bye. Bye.